Our scripture reading this morning is from Judges chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6 here at the beginning, and then basically we'll be walking through the remainder of the chapter, which is quite long during the sermon. But reading from Judges chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berit, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we saw just a couple of weeks back, Judges chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, describes a cycle that ultimately defines the entire book of Judges. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes we read, they did what was right in their own eyes. But those were the same thing. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. We also noted last Lord's Day that this same cycle began again at the beginning of, or in in Judges chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Beareth their God. I apologize for the language, but I really can't apologize for the language because it comes up all through the Old Testament. God regarded his people as having been married to him by covenant when he brought them out of Egypt and he approached them at Mount Sinai. And so whenever they turned away from him to follow other gods or to seek out other remedies for their ills, they're spoken of in these terms. They accord after other gods. They prostituted themselves, depending on which version you're reading. The Hebrew word is all the same. And this happened right away after Gideon had died. The people of Israel turned away from God again. They did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all of their enemies on every side which was, of course, the chronic problem. And it only becomes worse as we go further and further into the book of Judges. At the beginning, we see some leaders, some judges that God raises up to work 
deliverance for his people who seem to be good and fairly honorable people. By the end of the book, the last judge whose life we will look into will be Samson. And there's really nothing at all good about Samson. He has a moment. He has a moment when he looks to God in faith and he is obedient and God answers his prayer. But aside from that, pretty much step by step throughout the life of Samson, there is this constant turning away from the Lord and from the Lord's will for his life that just mirrors what was going on in Israel. So this is where we are then when we come to the beginning of Judges chapter 9. The people have turned away from God to worship and serve the Baals and Abimelech, whose name you may recall means my father is king. Well, he went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you or that one rule over you? Now, one thing that the scripture doesn't deal with specifically, but it seems highly unlikely that any of the other sons of Gideon were actually interested in ruling over them. Jotham, who will turn up in just a minute, certainly wasn't. But this is a great opportunity for Abimelech to come and to bring this, this tension into the people of Israel, saying to them, do you want 70 kings or do you want one king? And he says, remember also that I am your bone and your flesh, because Abimelech was the son of Gideon's concubine. He had many wives, but this was the son of his concubine that he kept at Shechem. And apparently this seemed like a reasonable question to the leaders of Shechem, although it plainly contradicts the words of Gideon we saw last week. Gideon said, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And then Abimelech, who oddly enough was named my daddy as king by his father Gideon, comes and says, who do you want for your king? Do you want to have those 70 or do you want to have the one? And so when he spoke to his mother and his mother's relatives spoke to the leaders of Shechem on Abimelech's behalf, they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Beareth, that means covenant with Baal, which, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. According to one commentary, archeologists have found a temple site from the era of Joshua and Judges in the region at Shechem that contains an altar with a huge standing stone, which was very typical of the idol worship of that day. And this temple has been identified with the temple of Baal Birit or El Birit in Judges 9. So it's at least possible that what happened here was that Abimelech, having been given money from the temple of Baal to hire worthless and reckless fellows, paid the idol back by offering the blood of his half-brothers as human sacrifices, thereby giving a whole new meaning to the concept of dysfunctional family. All of this from a man who would be king. And apparently he couldn't count very well either. Maybe that's not a skill that kings need to have because he knew the number of his brothers and yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, that's Gideon, was left for he hid himself. 
It's worth at least a mention at this point that the very name Jeroboam was given to Gideon because he once tore down and burned an altar belonging to the same false demonic god which had now taken the lives of all but one of his sons. And we're led to think maybe Gideon should have been a little more thoroughgoing in his battle with idolatry. Maybe instead of saying, well, we're not going to worship the Baals, but I'm going to make an ephod, and we're going to kind of do our own thing when it comes to the worship of God, he should have just said, you know what, we're not, only, not only are we not going to worship the Baals and Asherah, we are going to go down to Shiloh or to Bethel, wherever the tabernacle is, and we're going to worship the living God according to the law that he gave to his people through his servant Moses. And maybe there's a lesson here for all of us. Often what one generation tolerates in moderation, the next may embrace to their own destruction with wholehearted devotion, which is what happened with Gideon and Abimelech. But one last son was enough, because on the day when the people of Shechem came together to make Abimelech king, Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon, decided to address the murderer and his supporters from the top of Mount Gerizim. Ironically, from the very hilltop where the people of Israel had been blessed when they first came in to the land of Israel. Now we'll see that Jotham's words too could be taken as a blessing. If so, it's kind of a backhanded blessing. The scene is amusing. Dale Ralph Davis wrote, We watched the solemnity and ceremony of Abimelech's coronation. All the politicians have that grave and profound look on their faces, which needs to remain there until they adjourn to the Hilton for the party. And suddenly there is an irreverent yell that profanes the occasion. Hey, guys, listen to me. And all eyes turn toward the slope of Mount Gerizim, and there Jotham, Gideon's youngest son, stands ready with a story. And it's an interesting story, a fable, if you will. You'll find it in Judges chapter 9, verses 7 to 15. Jotham, the only remaining son of Gideon, cried out, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Now, that seems like an unusual introduction. Why would he say, listen to me, so that God may listen to you? But Proverbs 28 verse 9 states, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And Psalm 66 verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So whether or not Jotham understands this, even if he's only speaking for God kind of accidentally here, he's on to something. Where there is an unwillingness to hear and obey the word of the Lord, there can be no expectation that the Lord stands ready to hear us. Many times throughout the book of Judges, we see that pattern that I spoke of at the beginning of the sermon this morning. We see people turn away from God And then God gives them over to their enemies. But when they realize their error, when Israel repents and cries out to God again, he delivers them. What's interesting about this story is that the enemy, as it so often does, comes from within. 
in this day, Israel is not being harassed by an oppressive foreign power. Abimelech is one of their own, a son of Jerobeel, meaning let Baal contend, who has given himself without reservation to Baal Birit, the god that these people had chosen to follow. And the old Puritan, Matthew Henry, wrote, how unfit was he to reign over Israel. He was unlikely to defend them, who instead of restraining and punishing idolatry, thus early made himself a pensioner to an idol. He took money from the temple of Baal Birit and used it to hire the men who helped him to murder his own brothers. Is that the sort of person that you would think Israel would look to? But it wasn't really a problem because the people of Israel themselves, as we had seen, had given themselves wholeheartedly to Baal Beareth too. Hence Jotham's story, beginning in verse 8, the trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, you come, and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? Next, the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. Of course, we can imagine that everyone there and everyone here knows that a bramble really gives very little shade and very little protection or succor. But if you're doing this in sincerity, come and take refuge in my shade, and if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. It seems likely that those who had gathered by the oak of the pillar at Shechem to make the bramble king might have understood, even if Jotham had just left it at that and run, run away. But he went on anyway, verses 16 to 20. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his son, 70 men, on one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem because he is your relative." If then you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. And there's the blessing, right? Abimelech says, if this is the right thing, if doing what is right in your own eyes is truly the good and righteous path, then let that be a blessing to you and a blessing to Abimelech as well. But here's the point, verse 20, but if not, if you are not doing the right thing, 
Then let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Which is, of course, exactly what happened. It didn't turn out well for Shechem or for Abimelech. It didn't turn out well for Israel. It didn't turn out well for any of the sons of Gideon, of Jeroboam, most of whom were dead. And Jotham was forced to flee into the wilderness on the far side of the River Jordan. Abimelech thought it was turning out okay. He ruled over Israel for three years. But listen to how this curse pronounced by Jotham comes home to roost. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. God sent this spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And I point this out because, again, we need to keep this in mind. This story is not happening because somehow God stepped away from the throne for a little while and while he was off doing something other than ruling the universe, things got a little bit out of hand. That's not how it works. Daniel wrote, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel's saying God is in control of the natural world. He changes times and seasons. If it's warm outside tomorrow, it's because God willed it to be warm outside tomorrow. If it's not, it's because he didn't. These are not accidents. Nature is not running all by itself apart from the sovereign and providential will of God. God is in control of the times and the seasons of nature and of history as well. And God is in charge of who gets to be king. He removes them and he sets them up. And this was, of course, true then. It's true now. And it will always be true. Abimelech's sins were his own, as are the leaders of our present government and our own. But by fratricide or free election, God put the one in power as certainly as the other. And sometimes God gives us the leaders we want, and often the leaders are actually the leaders we deserve. And God gives them to us because he is working his will in this world. But as certainly as it is God who sets up kings, it is also God who removes them. After three short years, at least I would think they seemed short to Abimelech and his crew, the people of Shechem rebelled against him and they sought to overthrow him. And the irony here is they sought to overthrow him in favor of the Canaanite clan of Hamor who had governed their, governed their centuries earlier. It was Hamor that Jacob and his sons ran into when Shechem, the man for whom this area was named, forcibly took one of Jacob's daughters and raped her. And now the people of Israel have encountered a family that comes from that clan of Hamor who's saying, what men of Shechem? Why would you let this son of Gideon rule over you? Here I am. 
This is my ancestral homeland. Let me rule over you. In the end, Gideon prevailed, and the people, the very same people who had chosen him to be king, were there, they were defeated. And the leaders of Shechem, we're told, fled to the tower of Shechem. And then Abimelech and his worthless and reckless men set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Just like Jotham had prophesied. Talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. But a short time later, Abimelech, who was victorious that day, went up to a place called Thebes, and he tried to use the very same strategy to reduce the tower there. But while they're drawing near to pile the, the brush and the brambles around the base of the tower so that they can set the thing on fire, we're told a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Once again, as Davis noticed, brambles make good fuel, but poor kings, they burn better than they reign. They destroy better than they rule. And without a doubt, this was exactly the sort of thing that Jotham had envisioned when he offered up his blessing on Abimelech's coronation. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Bethmelo and let fire come out from them and devour Abimelech. After he had spoken those words, Jotham got out of Dodge, we might say today. He just ran. He took off from Mount Gerizim. He crossed the Jordan River, and he headed into the wilderness. He ran out of Israel, and he ran out of the biblical record, too. But the epitaph, and possibly the moral, of Abimelech's reign are found in Judges chapter 9, verses 56 and 57. Thus God... Notice where it starts. Thus God, it's not passive, it's active. God is at work. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. For us this morning... Five centuries later, the, the prophet Isaiah would ask what I think is a relative, irrelevant question. In the light of what we've just seen in Israel and in Jeroboam and in, in Abimelech and the people of that day, hear the question Isaiah asked, do you not know, do you not hear, has it not been told you from the beginning, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, it is God, who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. How much of our anxiety 
in our culture here in Canada and all around the world today has come into our lives through the princes and rulers of the earth. Even so, it was God who put Abimelech into leadership. It really was. And it was God who brought him to nothing because it is God who sits above the circle of the earth who brings princes to nothing. An elected official or unelected bureaucrat, it doesn't make any difference. The Lord reigns. And I want you to think about just those three words. A theme is about to develop here. You might pick up on it all by yourself. But I want you to think about those three words in the light of whatever it is that's happening in your life right now, in your family, in this community, in this country, that is making you anxious, that is filling you with worry and fear, and all of those things that are absolutely contradictory to faith. The Lord reigns, regardless of Chinese spy balloons and German tanks and Russian saber-rattling and Vladimir Putin saying, well, you know, we have nukes here too. In spite of all of that, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. We don't have to fear the world ending in some sort of a nuclear holocaust in the next 10 days or so because God didn't say that's how it's going to happen. And he established this world and he will uphold it by the word of his power until the day when he is ready to bring all of this to an end by the return of his son, Jesus Christ. Need more? Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. So hear this, young people and anyone who's afraid. Listen to these words. The Lord reigns. In spite of COVID and climate change and the Great Reset and the WEF's Forum of Young Global Leaders, the Lord reigns. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. See the theme? Can you pick that up yet? The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all peoples. The Lord reigns, and what's more, according to Psalm 146, verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Here's the thing. Not only will our God reign forever over all principalities and powers, thrones and dominions, just as he did in those Old Testament stories, he is really Justin Trudeau's boss too, folks. He really is. And every other leader who pretends to take a stand against him. Not only that, he has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, 
to give himself for us and for our salvation, so that by faith all those who have trusted in him have been forgiven for all their sin and have been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places and have been given the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. God guarantees the inheritance that he is keeping in heaven for you. Still more, when God raised Jesus up, and I know I say this a lot, but I'm going to continue saying it a lot. When God raised Jesus up, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. And he reigns right now in power and glory at the Father's right hand. We're not waiting to see how history will turn out and whether or not the good guys are going to prevail over the bad guys. We're not waiting to see how bad can this get before God will finally say, well, it's time, go. Go save that remnant. Peter says, don't don't miss the point that the patience of God is giving you time for repentance. It's giving you time to turn to him in faith. It's giving you time to recognize that Jesus is Lord over all and that our God reigns. That the fate of the world is not in our hands. There's nothing we can do about it. And it is not in the hands of any human being, including those leaders who want us to think that our salvation can be found in them instead of in Jesus Christ. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Our God reigns and he is Lord, period. So what are we to do now? How are we to respond? What's the big takeaway, the big idea this morning? How can you take what I have said and apply it to your daily lives well, one more. Psalm 96, verses 7 to 10. And as I read through this, watch for the imperatives. Watch for the commands that are part of this, this passage from Psalm um, one, Psalm 96. They're going to be highlighted in bold up on the screen over my shoulder. Ascribe to the Lord. It's a command. O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord. It's another imperative. It's a command. In the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Our God reigns. This really is the gospel. It's the good news of grace. It's the good news that our world needs. The gospel of the kingdom of God, the reign of God. This is what Jesus proclaimed. And John the Baptist and the apostles, they went out into the world proclaiming, our God reigns. And he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And since the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations, then go out from here today and in word and deed and especially given the climate of our times in 
attitude in all of those things. Say among the nations. Say to your neighbors and your friends and your family in word and in deed and in attitude, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. May we pray. Father, give us the conviction and the courage that can only come from knowing that you are the God who reigns over all things and you are the God who reigns over our hearts and lives through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Father, then send us out into this world that you made to proclaim that joyful news that there's no need to be afraid because you reign forever, our God, to the very ends of the ages. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.